In World War II, one of the most important battles was the battle uh, that we call D-Day, the invasions of those Normandy beaches. And leading up to uh, that, that day, there was an operation called Operation Bodyguard. And the intent of this uh, strategy was to, to utilize psychological warfare to deceive the Germans. The goal by the Allied forces was to trick the Germans regarding the date of invasion and also regarding the location of a, of a major invasion into Europe. And so they utilized all sorts of strategies. They, they uh, dropped in uh, uh, fake paratroops, both east and west of Normandy. They utilized uh, fake tanks and uh, dummy, uh, all sorts of dummy military hardware to, to trick the Germans. They they had double agents and radio traffic uh, messages that were, that were sending false signals. And ultimately, they were successful. The Germans did not anticipate a major military attack that day uh, at Normandy. This morning, we'll be in Nehemiah 4, and we're going to see the Jews facing some intense opposition. In fact, we're going to see that, that they were faced by a type of psychological warfare, not unlike what you see happening uh, in, in wars through, throughout the ages. As we consider this passage, uh, remember that the Jews had been taken captive by the Babylonians. The Jews had rebelled against God, had, had turned from him, and God kept warning them, you need to turn back to me, and if you do not turn back to me, you're going to face my punishment. And they would not. They would not turn back to him. And so eventually God used the Babylonians to come in and to conquer Judah. And in 586 BC, the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. And all of the influential people in Judah were taken captive into Babylon. Well, shortly thereafter, the Persian Empire would would topple the Babylonians and when this occurred, the Persians allowed uh, the Israelites to return to their homeland. Well, a, a group went back to their homeland, led by Zerubbabel, and they rebuilt the temple. Another group uh, came back with, with Ezra, and Nehemiah led a group back. You'll remember that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, he had a, this was a really critical post. It was a post where, where he helped provide protection for the king, and he had a close relationship with the king because he was tasting the king's drink to make sure that it was safe. And, and so he had a very important responsibility, good relationship with the king. When he hears about the fate of those who have gone back to Judah and back to Jerusalem, when he hears about their fate, about how the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, and it's a terrible mess, Nehemiah begins to cry out to God with prayer and fasting. And before long, he goes before the king and he says to the king, can I go back to my homeland and can I make sure that the walls are built back up and the people there have some hope? Can, can I do that? And the king authorizes this. Well, as Nehemiah travels to Judah, the, others in the, the other neighbors, if you will, of Judah hear about this. Sanballat, for one, the, the governor of Samaria. Samaria was just to the north of Judah. They really opposed what Nehemiah was doing, and we, we caught a hint of that last week. But today, we're going to see what it is like to fulfill the mission of God in the midst of fierce 
opposition? What was the mission that Nehemiah had? He, he felt that God had put it on his heart to go to Jerusalem and to build up the wall because the wall was critical for a city to thrive and to flourish. Without a city wall, any kind of attack could occur. And so this wall was critical for the people of God and for their safety and also for their morale, for the walls to be destroyed and, and messed up. It was a constant reminder that they were a broken people, that they were a messed up people. And so Nehemiah went with a call from God to rebuild the wall. And so he rallied the people uh, of Israel. He rallied the Jews to begin construction on this wall. And, and they're making good progress. But when the progress, uh, when the progress is advancing quite well, the opposition picks up. Let's look together at Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll look first uh, at verses 1 through 5. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So in verse 1, we see that Samballot, uh, again of Samaria, the governor of Samaria, he begins to to ridicule and to make fun of the Jews. And he's joined by Tob- Tobiah. And, and they begin to say, what are these feeble Jews doing? They, they, they'll never accomplish this. Tobiah says, if a fox climbs on the wall, it's going to collapse. This is a pointless effort. And so in many ways, this is an attempt to destroy the morale of the Jews with words. It's a type of, of psychological warfare, if you will. What are they going to do, finish up in a day? They think they're really going to get this thing done? It'll never happen. Notice Nehemiah's response in verse 4. He cries out to God, hear, O God. You hear what our enemies are saying. God, you deal with them. You make it right. In many ways, Jerusalem was surrounded by a bunch of folks who were like a bully at school. You know the bully at school that runs his mouth and runs his mouth and runs his mouth and he's big stuff and he's big stuff and eventually he picks a fight with the wrong kid? And then he faces reality. Well, in many ways, that's what's happening here. These guys are trying to bully the people of God. They're trying to to, to push them around. And Nehemiah's response is to cry out to God in prayer. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. What does Nehemiah say? Yes, we're facing opposition, but we continued to work. In fact, we got the wall to half its height. The people had a mind to work. In other words, the people were committed to furthering the mission. They were committed to furthering the mission. Verse 7, but when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. It's important to understand the geography 
that, that you see in verse 7 here. You see Samballot represented the Samaria, Samaritans to the north of Judah. The Arabs represented those to the south of Judah. The Ammonites, those to the east of Judah. And the Ashdodites, those to the west of Judah. So what do we see here? Nehemiah is saying we were surrounded by people who were opposing us on every side. We were surrounded by enemies. And so these enemies got together and they said, look, the people, uh, the the Jews, the the people of of God are trying to rebuild their walls. And they think they're going to be something. Let's come up with a plan and let's stop this. We don't want a strong Jerusalem. We do not want a strong Judah. And so they plotted together, and notice they began to try to cause confusion. Again, they're using words and psychological attempts to destroy the people, to destroy the the, the willingness of the people to move on and to continue. But what did the people of God do in verse 9? We prayed. Nehemiah says, we prayed, we called out to God in the face of this terrible opposition. We called out to God. And then what did they do? They set up a guard. There's something important for us here as we seek to fulfill the mission of God. Recognize that the mission of God is fulfilled as we cry out to God in prayer. And then as we take action, we set up the guard. That's what Nehemiah says, we we set up the guard. So you see this. You see this interaction of calling out to God and counting on God and trusting God and then a willingness to act and and to get moving. And so that's exactly what you see here. Let's look in verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all the directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So in verse 10, in Judah, it was being said, this is too much. So up to this point, the Jews had been working steadfastly. They were committed to rebuilding this wall. They'd gotten it to half its height. But by this point, the work was wearisome. They'd been working hard. They're worn down. They're tired. The wall's just halfway done. We still have so far to go. And our enemies, they're threatening to kill us. And and so, in verse 10, in Judah, it was said, it'll never happen. So the Jews began to talk amongst themselves, and they began to say, this this isn't going to happen. It's not not going to happen. We we can't do this. It, It just can't be done. This is too big of a mess. Have you ever started a project, maybe some sort of a, a fix-up or clean-up project, and you begin, and an hour or so in, you think, this will never finish? Well, they're there. And add people who are threatening to kill you in the midst of it to the mix, and that kind of wears you down too. And so we have a picture of the people of God who have grown quite weary at this point, quite tired. And so, with the fear of attack, 
What does Nehemiah do? Well, he divides the people up. And, and he puts forces, particularly in the most vulnerable locations uh, in Jerusalem. They, they put extra forces in those vulnerable locations. And then, what does Nehemiah say? Don't you be scared. Don't be scared, not for one minute. I don't care if we have enemies on every side. Do not be scared. Why? Because God is great and awesome. You have to recognize that God's bigger than Sanballat and his buddies. God's greater than that. He's he's more awesome than that. Don't be scared. Remember how mighty God is. And then what else does Nehemiah say? He says, fight for your people. Don't lose heart. Your your brothers are counting on you. Your wives, your kids, they're, they're counting on you. Nehemiah is charging the men to step up, to step up and to fight and to build. So at this point, it seems that the building has halted for a bit. They're focused on protection and defense. Think back to David and Goliath. You remember that the Philistines were taunting the Israelites and they were, they were saying to the Israelites, you can't handle us. And this giant Goliath was making fun of God's people. And what did God do? He took a, a little fella, a young man named David, who, who took that giant out. The reason God used David and not some mighty warrior is because God wanted us to see that he's the one that won the battle. He's the one that defeated Goliath, not David. And here, it's as if Nehemiah is saying to the people, God's going to take out that Philistine. Don't worry about it. God's bigger than he is. Do not fear. Verse 15. When When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each of us, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So in verse 15, the enemies of the Jews realized that God had messed up their plans. Notice that God is seen as the the one who's acting here. Well, how did God mess up their plans? Well, because the Jews set up forces and began to be on guard. And they assembled military forces that were ready for an attack. And the the enemy saw that they no longer had the advantage of a surprise attack. And for that reason, their plans had been frustrated. And so now, the work continues on the wall. Now, this is important. Amidst all kinds of opposition and trouble, Nehemiah and the Jews kept focused on the mission They did not lose heart, and they kept going. They they kept moving ahead. It's very critical for us to see that and to take note of that. Now, they took wise steps. They took good actions. Half of the people continued the construction, and half served in the military. And even those who were doing the construction, the ones who carried 
They, they worked together so that they used one hand to carry, and they had a weapon and another just in case of a surprise attack. And those who were doing the construction who needed both hands, well, they had a sword strapped to their side in case they needed to immediately begin in battle. And so, and so they came up with a plan for communications regarding uh, trumpets. He says, hey, we're scattered out in different areas. If you hear a trumpet, you come. You be ready to fight. So they're making plans to, uh, to, to protect themselves in the face of battle. Let's look at verse 21. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. So in verse 21, Nehemiah says, we labored. It's very important here that Nehemiah is working too. He's not the leader sitting up somewhere in a command post. No, he's getting out and he's doing the work with the people. He and the people of uh, Judah are working together. They're laboring hard. And some held spears. And, and some uh, continued the work. So we see they maintain this military defense while they continue the work on the wall. In fact, Nehemiah said, just in case they come at night... Uh, men, I need you to stay in the city at night, and I need you to be ready for an attack. And he says, we didn't even take our clothes off. We were prepared. If they came at night, we were ready to fight. We had men on guard, and all of us were ready to jump up and to begin to fight. In reflecting on this passage, it is clear that God has called us to remain faithful to the mission, even in the face of fierce opposition. God has called us to remain faithful to the mission, even in the face of fierce opposition. Let's consider five keys from this passage for remaining faithful. First, pray consistently to further the mission. Pray consistently to further the mission. Now, what was the mission that Nehemiah had been tasked with? Well, it was to rebuild the wall. What's the mission that we've been tasked with, the people of God today has been tasked with. Well, we know what it is. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tells us, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's what Jesus said. So what's our mission? Our ultimate mission is to tell people about Jesus and to make disciples. So what are we going to do? We're going to pray about our mission. We're going to pray consistently to further our mission. Folks, the people of Israel faced intense opposition in the completion of their mission. And brothers and sisters, we can expect no less. And as we read the New Testament, that truth is indeed confirmed. We see the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel, but he preached the gospel in the face of much opposition, facing the threat of death, facing the threat of being beaten and tortured. And believers all throughout the history of the church have been killed and maimed for their commitment to the Lord Jesus. They've been, they've been murdered. They've been burned alive. If you read the history of the church and you see how believers have been treated, it's amazing the kind of opposition that brothers and sisters have had to face. And all over this world, brothers and sisters are facing today. And in the years ahead, those of us who remain faithful to the book may well face he here, even in our nation in our country. 
So we must pray consistently to further the mission. In verses 4 and 5, we see Nehemiah praying and calling out to God. In verse 9, we see that the people are praying. Now, sometimes we ask the question, if it's God's will, then, then if God's will is ultimately going to be accomplished, why pray? But Nehemiah helps us to understand that. God accomplishes his will through the prayers of his people. Think through that for a moment. How did God accomplish the rebuilding of the wall? Well, he accomplished the rebuilding of the wall through his people. Well, the word is clear. God uses our prayers to further his work. Now, we don't know how all that works. He's sovereign and and he's big. And and so sometimes we start trying to figure that all out, and we can't do it. Our minds are too limited. But this is what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us to pray that God's work might be accomplished, and we see Nehemiah modeling that. And so what do we say? We say that God works through our prayers to accomplish his will. He uses our prayers. He uses our actions, too, to accomplish his will. So should we pray? You bet we should pray. And what else does prayer do? Prayer draws us into deeper fellowship with God that we might know him more that we might love him more, that our hearts might be shaped by him. So, folks, let's pray for the furtherance of the mission. Let's pray that the gospel might be made known here in Uvalde and that the gospel might be made known around the world. At the beginning of this year, I challenged every one of you who's a member of First Baptist Church Uvalde, I challenged you to begin praying for three people who do not know the Lord Jesus, to pray for them daily, and to begin to seek opportunities to share the gospel by the end of the year. And I just want to remind you that November is just around the corner. So some of us need to be having some faith conversations. And some of us need to continue to be calling out to God in prayer. We must pray for the furtherance of the mission. In fact, in in our own congregation, no no pastor really likes to talk about this sort of thing. But but we we just have to be honest about it. Um, We have a pretty significant issue to pray about. Our budget for the year is $980,000, but our giving for the year is projected to be somewhere around $780,000. That's a pretty significant shortfall. And because of that, uh, the, the various committees and leaders who are responsible for the budget next year are tasked with the responsibility of of trimming back, of, of looking and saying, how can we, how can we further the mission and do it more leanly? And, and do it more carefully. And so I want to say to every one of you who's a part of this church, will you pray about that process? Will you pray that God will be at work? Um, and pray that God will meet needs, but also pray that God will give wisdom as we look and ask what needs to be cut back. That's, that's one of the kinds of battles you can face in ministry. Uh, and, and so it's the battle that is upon us today. Um, in our general fund, we have... Uh, just shy of $400,000, church management experts suggest that churches ought to maintain somewhere around six months uh, uh, of uh, operating expenses, and we have probably between four and five months of, of operating expenses at the, current, at the current budget, probably just below that, that six-month level. Um, sometimes people say, well, why would a church keep that kind of reserves? Well, uh, uh, again, church management experts recommend that. Most, most families operate that way, too. We try to keep some reserve on hand for, for difficult times. In fact, this year, if we hadn't had that kind of reserve on hand, we would have already had to cut back significantly. And so uh, it's important for us to understand the battle that's before us and, and where, where our walls are at. And uh, brothers and sisters, they're not, they're not built all the way. They're, they're halfway. 
And so I, I plead with you to pray about this, to pray that God will guide and, and to pray that God will help us through, through, a challenging, uh, through a challenging time. So we need to pray consistently to further the mission. Second, we need to persevere to further the mission. We need to persevere to further the mission. In verse 6, they faced opposition, but they kept building. In verse 7, repairs were moving forward. In verse 15, they returned to their work. In verse 21, they labored at the work. In other words, they did not lose sight. Even with all the craziness going on, they did not lose sight of what God has called them to. And we can't either. We can't either. We can't allow other things to crowd out our commitment to the mission of God. So I want to ask you, are you helping build the wall? If you're a Christian, are you helping spread the gospel? Are you helping make disciples? Are you helping uh, to, to, to put another brick on and to put another brick on? Are, are you doing your part? It's important that even when times are tough, that the mission moves forward, that we persevere. So some of you need to get started. Some of you need to to get ready to lay some bricks. And some of you need to continue laying bricks, and you don't need to lose heart. And in the face of some challenges and difficulties, you need to say, I'm going to keep moving ahead. As we think about the budget, again, no preacher loves to talk about stuff like this, but but, but it is the reality in the face of, of budget shortfalls. Um, we're going, it's going to be tough for, for all of us in different ways. Ministries are going to be cut and budgets, that has to happen. And so what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, is when that happens, don't lose heart. Persevere and say, this is the challenge that the Lord has given us. But I'm not going to stop building. I'm not going to start complaining or griping or get, or get discouraged. I'm going to move forward by God's grace and in his power. We're going to get these walls built. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to accomplish the mission that is ahead. So don't lose heart. We can't lose heart. God has given us a call to faithfully preach the gospel. There are people all over this community that need to see the love of Jesus, that need to hear the gospel, and we are the folks that God has called to do that. So we do not lose heart, no matter what the challenge or the obstacle is before us. Now, some of you can't be as involved in the mission as you'd like to be. Some of you can't can't be involved because of your health, or maybe you have a job that makes it where you can't be here, but every so often or something like that, and I just say to you, do what you can. Do what you can to further the mission. Maybe, maybe your health makes it where you, where, where you can pray, then, then pray. Maybe your health makes it where, where you can call someone and encourage them. Do, do that. Whatever it is that you can do, do that. And as we think about our own congregation, uh, a time of transition as we, be, as we search out for, for another associate pastor to help with, with leading us in, in worship. That's another time that a church can, can kind of face challenges and, and there can be discouragement, especially with something as volatile as, as music and some folks like this and some folks like that and some people want this and some people want that. And I, and I just want to say to you, brothers and sisters, as we move ahead and we try to focus on the mission, Let's make persevering in the mission the main thing. And let's be willing to lay aside personal preferences. I'm sure that one person wanted this section of the wall to be that color, and another person probably wanted it to be this color, right? Those are the big fights in churches, right? The color of the carpet. Brothers and sisters, we must be committed to the mission 
And we must be committed to, to stay together in the accomplishment and perseverance of the mission, no matter what. Through, through the challenges, through the transitions, through changes, all of that. Let's stay together. Let's be committed. Now, one of my best examples of, of faith was my, my, uh, my own dad. Um, as a kid growing up, he, uh, we, we really didn't go to church that much, but when he got older, uh, God really did a work in his heart, and, and he became a very, very committed believer. He had COPD, and if any of you, uh, those of you who know how that disease works, you, you understand what that means. That means that solely through time, your ability to, to breathe uh, and to, to take in air and to release air and all of that is hindered. And in the process, movement becomes more and more difficult. And so my dad was uh, really good with computers. And so when his health was good, he, he did computers for the church, didn't charge money, kept, kept network and all that kind of stuff going. But eventually his health brought him to the place where he couldn't be involved anymore. He, he, couldn't, he could hardly get out. And what he did is he built... Uh, a website for the church. And I could bring computers to him that needed to be fixed, and he would fix them in his home. And he would pray and pray for the work. And what I saw in my father was a commitment to give all that he could. He couldn't give what he wanted to give, but he gave what he could. And brothers and sisters, it challenged me, and it still challenges me to this day. We must persevere in the mission. We can't let anything hinder us. It's that important. It's that important. Lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. That people might know Jesus. Third, act wisely to further the mission. In verse 9, what did they do? They prayed and they set a guard. In verses 16 through 20, they set up a plan for for defending their mission. Now, they could have said, we're going to pray and God will protect us. We're just going to keep building the wall. We're not going to set up defenses. But they didn't do that. That was unwise. What did they do? They prayed. They trusted God. And then they set up uh, they, they set up work. So we ought to act wisely to further the mission. In verses 22 through 23, we see more uh, balancing of defense and, and furtherance of the mission. So we seek his wisdom. We look to his word. We seek his counsel. And we move ahead. To further the mission. So in tough times, in challenging times, we, we seek God, we pray, and then we act wisely. We, we look at principles from his word. We, we, we talk to one another and, and work together, and, and we move ahead. Fourth, remember God's might to further the mission. Remember God's might. You and I are not on our own in, in accomplishing this even though a lot of the times we sometimes think we are. I know I do sometimes. I forget that God's at work, that he's the one that's giving us power and enabling us to further the mission. So verse 14, remember the Lord. He's great and awesome. Verse 20, Nehemiah says, our God will fight for us. So never make the mistake, brothers and sisters, of thinking that you're strong enough. None of us are strong enough to do the Lord's work in our own strength. We need the spirit to empower us, to enable us, The Spirit of God works through us to allow us to keep putting another brick on, even in the face of difficulty. So we face challenges as a church. We've got some rebuilding to do. But our God, He's great. 
He's awesome. And we're counting on him. We're counting on him to come through, to take us through the, 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 the challenging times, to enable us to, to continue forward with the mission. And brothers and sisters, if we're committed to his mission, I do not believe for a moment that he will let us down. We can move forward with confidence in him. We're counting on him, and that's just what we need to do. Fifth, remember the people who are counting on you to help you in furthering the mission. Remember the people who are counting on you. What does Nehemiah say in verse 14 when he gathers the people together? They're discouraged. They've lost morale. He says, you fight. Fight for your brothers and for your wives and, and your sons and your daughters. Fight for them. And I ask those of you who know the Lord Jesus, who are you fighting for? Well, there are generations, these kiddos, who are going to be around when we're dead and gone. They're worth fighting for. They're worth continuing the mission for. Will there be faithful Bible-believing churches 30 years from now? 50 years from now? Well, there will be. There will be if we'll continue. If we'll move forward, if we'll remember who we're fighting for. Who else is counting on us? What about people who are separated from Christ and who have no hope eternally? Who, if they do not hear the gospel and repent and believe, will spend eternity in hell? What about those people? If we really believe that, wouldn't that motivate us? Wouldn't that motivate us to say, I'm moving forward for the mission because there's a lot of people out there who are counting on us to be faithful. So brothers and sisters, now's not a time to lose heart. Now's not a time to cower down in the face of whatever opposition we face. We must move forward. We must move forward. People are counting on us. These kiddos, these students, they're counting on us. Brothers and sisters, let's jump in. Let's get this wall built. Let's further the mission of God. I read the story of a POW during World War II named Richard Antrim. Uh, He and his crew uh, were in the midst of a uh, battle and the Japanese uh, uh, shot the ship. It began to sink and they got on lifeboats and eventually they were captured by the Japanese army and they were put in a a prisoner of war camp. And he was such a a reliable, uh, he he was so reliable as one of the prisoners and and had impressed his enemies uh, that they put him in charge of a, a work team and they were given the responsibility of building these trenches which would provide protection in the midst of an air raid. And you know what uh, he did? They built trenches all right, but they made the trenches in the shape of a big U and a big S. Now, if he had been caught, he could have been beheaded. And what that did is that enabled the U.S. military to recognize that there were prisoners of war being held there. And lots and lots and lots of lives were saved. Now, we live in crazy times. We live in times that are different than than most of us I had ever imagined. But brothers and sisters, we must not lose heart. Let's keep digging in the trenches. Let's keep giving our all for the furtherance of the mission, for those who are counting on us. Friends, God 
has called us to remain faithful no matter what. What's slowing you down? What's keeping you from fulfilling the mission? Did you get discouraged somewhere along the way and just sort of drop out? Maybe the Lord's saying to you, hey, it's time to get re-enlisted. It's time to, to go in and sign up. There's a war going on. We need you. Did life just get too busy? And everything, not purposely, but everything just sort of crowded out your commitment to the mission? Do you sense the Spirit of God saying to you, it's time, it's time to make some changes. It's time to start laying bricks. Brother, it's time for you to lead your family to focus on what really matters, to focus on things that are eternal. The walls are broken, but God has given us a mission. Let's move forward in his grace and in his strength. Join me in prayer.